Welcome to the Colon Cancer Podcast, stories of struggle, hope, and survival in the face of colorectal cancer. I'm Lee Silverstein. Michael Holtz is a stage 3 colon cancer survivor and the author of the new book, It's Not Harder Than Cancer. During our interview, Michael covered several interesting topics, including why, after many years, he chose to leave his job with the American Cancer Society, how he continues to lead a normal life with a permanent colostomy, as well as the decision he made to write his book in such a way to invite the reader to take an active role in it. Join me for my conversation with Michael Holtz. Michael, welcome to the show. So glad you could join us today. Lee, thank you so much. I'm glad to be here. So before I get to your new book, It's Not Harder Than Cancer, tell me about your life before cancer came along. Um, so I was employed by the American Cancer Society Cancer Action Network. So cancer was a part of our lives, um, my wife and I, before my diagnosis. I worked in cancer every day. I started there in 2002 on the communications and PR side and moved into the advocacy side in 2011, well, no, earlier than that, actually, 2008, and really loved working with our volunteers and with the staff and you know, fighting the good fight against cancer. And of course, like everybody, you know, knew lots of people who had been diagnosed, um, including a friend who had a recurrence at the time that I started working for the organization. So, you know, cancer was always a big part of our world um, anyway. Um, and my wife and I were married in 1996. So we were married a long time before cancer entered the picture as well. I see. And I don't want to go into your whole life story because we do want to encourage people to buy your book, but uh, take me a little bit through when you were diagnosed, the entire journey, but when you were diagnosed and how that happened and where you are today. Sure. So I've been having some really interesting digestive symptoms for about three months. I noticed them in December of 2011, you know, sort of having the urge to go, but nothing would happen or having to rush to the toilet, you know, and making it just in time. And the interesting thing about that is I had just worked to lose um, about a hundred pounds. And when I was overweight, I wouldn't have noticed those as interesting digestive symptoms because they just kind of came with the territory of, you know, eating food that was bad for me and, you know, not really worrying about what I was putting into my body. In March of 2012, I noticed that there was blood and went to see my primary care doctor who said that, of course, his knee-jerk reaction was that I get a colonoscopy. So, got the colonoscopy and at the consultation before my gastroenterologist said you know you probably have you know colitis maybe you have celiac disease he had no thoughts in his head whatsoever that he was going to find cancer when he um went in there and unfortunately that's exactly what he found 
So on March 27th, I had my colonoscopy and he found cancer. And within a week, we knew that it was stage 3B. And we started on my treatment plan, which included oral chemotherapy and radiation therapy at the same time. And that was in April and May of 2012. In April, I mean, sorry, in August, I had surgery to remove the tumor. And then starting that September, I did six months of follow-up chemo. And what is the status today? My status today is that I remain cancer-free. I'm happy to say that. Congratulations. Thank you very much. Um, But, you know, doctors don't always tell you everything up front. And my surgeon didn't tell me until about six months ago that I shouldn't be as healthy as I am um, because of the stage, because of the size of the tumor. You know, he said, for, for what I dealt with, he said, you really should still be sick. So the fact that I am where I am and about to run a marathon and all of that wonderful stuff is a miracle. Truly. And talk about the marathon and more importantly for people that might be facing this situation, the fact that you're going to run the run a marathon and you have a permanent colostomy. Right. Yeah. So I do have a permanent colostomy and I am prepared. I, of course, I always carry medical supplies with me, um, but I'm prepared to do whatever I need to do on the marathon course. And yeah, I'm running. It's my first marathon in three years. I actually ran the New Orleans marathon three weeks before I was diagnosed. And this, the date of this event actually coincides with my diagnosis anniversary. So three years and two days after my diagnosis, I'm running a marathon. That's just awesome. And it's in my home to, and it's in my hometown. So that's a great thing too. I don't have to go anywhere. And for those who haven't dove into the book yet or picked up the book, your hometown is? Knoxville, Tennessee. There's not a particular college that you're fond of, is there? <laughs> <laughs> well, to live here, you sort of have to like the, UT, the University of Tennessee. So. <laughs> well, so let's get into the book a little bit. And the first thing I wanted to kind of ask you about is you mentioned very early on and somewhat adamantly that you don't quite care for the term survivor. I really don't. It And likewise, my wife doesn't care for the phrase caregiver, but we can talk about that separately. I don't think the word survivor does justice to what we go through as cancer patients. You know, and having worked in the cancer world for as long as I did, and certainly now as a volunteer, you know, we throw that word around all the time, usually as a way of counting the number of people who have survived beyond their diagnosis and treatment. But there's so much more to what we go through. And of course, you know, all of the details are in the book in terms of what radiation does to your backside and, you know, all of that, which many of us, I'm sure, know. But you know, there, there's a level of sort of PTSD that goes along with it and all of the fear and the worry and the concern, you know, and 
the feeling that you get every time you climb up on the radiation table or sit in that chemotherapy chair. And the word survivor just doesn't, and there may not be a word, but it doesn't do justice to all of that. But you came up with a word. Uh, well, I hope so. I, um, I prefer the word thriver in part because one of the mindsets that I talk about in my book is, you know, thinking about and planning for what life looks like after cancer. And I started, you know, moving in that direction fairly early in my, in my treatment process to sort of think about, okay, so what happens when this is over? And I'm more active than I was before. And I say that as a guy who ran a marathon three weeks before I was diagnosed, more active, more involved in the lives of my friends and family, certainly much more, have much more feelings of gratitude for the world around me. My life is definitely different in the life after cancer. A story that I hear often from people I talk to, I hear that a lot, and I am continue to be amazed, and I, and I guess maybe I shouldn't because I feel the same way as a fellow stage four survivor, that there are many positives coming out the other side of this. Sure, absolutely. And, you know, I wouldn't say, and I know I say this somewhere in the book, that, you know, I, I wouldn't call cancer a gift, but there are wonderful things that have come from that experience. My marriage is stronger than it was before. I have an amazing friend who, you know, was barely part of my life before I was diagnosed. I have great, I have lots of other great friendships that have resulted from not only my treatment journey, but in pursuing a more active life after and pursuing new friendships. You know, I my world is really turned upside down by by this disease and in a in a great way i've written a book you know that. <laughs> sure so you know i mean that's all part of it you mentioned this friend and that was one of the questions on the list that i wanted to cover with you another common theme that i hear from people is the fact and you talk about this pretty in depth in your book about how when the disease comes along how friends and family we expect will be by our side, kind of some of them disappear surprisingly into the shadows, right. and others that we never expect suddenly show up and are there by our side. Tell me about your friend Zane. Sure. So, and I, I have likened it to sort of if you took a family portrait, you know, including your friends before, and you took one after, some of the faces would change. And Zane and I actually met on Twitter as quote-unquote meeting, you know, we both work in the PR and advertising marketing world. So I knew of him, but I didn't know him. And we started following each other. I was putting a 5K event together as a fundraiser for the American Cancer Society, and I tweeted something about it, and he retweeted it and said, you know, here's a race for a great cause. And... You know, some of the things I knew about him, you know, he worked for the wellness community at one time. So I knew he had a heart for cancer. And at the time in 2010, 
the American Cancer Society was launching the nationwide this program called Determination, which is built on you know other endurance event programs like team and training and that sort of thing, where you train to run an event and you raise money at the same time. And that's how I came to do New Orleans before I was diagnosed and Nashville the year before. And I reached out to him on Twitter and I said, I'm putting together a team of people to run the Nashville Marathon and I'd love to talk to you about it. And he gave me his cell phone number. And of course I know now he doesn't often do that. So I called him, we had a conversation, I told him what I was doing, he agreed to meet with me, and after the New Orleans Marathon, when I told him that I was diagnosed, he wanted to know what was happening. He said, you know, keep me posted on how things are going, about your your treatment, your doctor visits, all of that stuff, and he meant it. He wanted to know what was going on, and... So I kept him posted, and up until this point, we really had a business relationship. But he continued to ask and follow my progress, and then when I was in the hospital, on the day that my surgeon came to tell me that, um, tell us that my pathology report was clear, that there was no evidence of cancer in any of the tissue that they removed, he was one of the two people I remember came to the hospital that day and he cried and I knew <laughs> something told me in that moment that I was not going to shake this guy. And we have been really close friends ever since. And we have owned a business together. He helped me with the book. We're looking at doing some events down the road. So we're, we're very close, and I'm grateful. If you can be grateful to a disease for bringing you, bringing people into your life, I am that. So, it's a great story. Yeah, I hear a lot of people when they come through this. This I've, I've seen several people say, "Oh, I want to write a book about my experience." And as I finished your book, it kind of dawned on me: you did more than write a book. You didn't just tell your story, but you invited your readers to take an active role in the book. Talk about that. I didn't want to write a book that was just the telling of my story. I wanted to create something that was going to be useful and hopefully help other people who read it now that it's out and now that it's available. Um, so as I was framing my story around these mindsets, I wanted each chapter to end with, okay, I've told you how gratitude played a role in my story. Here are, you know, three lines for every day of the next week. Write down three things that you're grateful for every day to help people sort of get into how those mindsets work for me. So to be thinking about what am I grateful for? Or when it comes to planning for the life after cancer, you know, what am I going to put on my bucket list? What do I want to do when treatment is over and the side effects from chemotherapy have worn off and I'm quote unquote back to normal? 
not that there's ever really a normal after cancer treatment, but you know, what does all of that look like? And so I wanted, I did want to invite readers in to think about for themselves what might staying positive look like? What might it mean to surround yourself with amazing people to use your words and tell them how important they are to you? Those sorts of things. Interesting. And the title, It's Not Harder Than Cancer, did that come to you right away or did that take some thought? That actually came from a conversation with my surgeon. Um, Dr. Greg Midas here in Knoxville is um, an amazing doctor and um, very highly regarded for his work in colon cancer and colon issues specifically, but as a surgeon generally. And we were, he has this bedside manner that is inviting and it's very positive and you laugh a lot in an appointment with him and you know it's it's i don't want to say that going to see dr midas is fun but you know you're you're not going to feel sorry for yourself on a day that you visit dr midas and we were talking about in sort of discussing what life might look like after cancer you know I might run a marathon again. I might do a triathlon. I might, you know, in fact, recently we just had a conversation on my bucket list is running with the bulls in Spain. And he said, run with the bulls. He said, you faced cancer. There's nothing that's harder than that. So, you know, and we've had that conversation a couple of times. So the title from my book for my book comes directly from conversations with him about no matter what you plan to do from this point on, it's not going to be harder than, than cancer. I There were quite a few takeaways that I got from the book and a few things that kind of struck me as just kind of fascinating. And another one was, going back to what you said very early on in this conversation, that you worked for many years with the American Cancer Society. And I found it so interesting that after your illness, you left. Talk about that decision. Sure. Um, I reached a point after treatment and really this was last summer. So about two and a half years after my diagnosis ish, where I was so immersed in cancer, not just from my own personal perspective as, as a patient and then as a thriver, but we talk about cancer all day at the American Cancer Society Cancer Action Network. And I had just, I'd reached a saturation point where I didn't want to talk about it anymore. I was tired of talking about cancer. I wrote a blog post actually at that time that said very bluntly, I am very tired of talking about cancer and sort of made the case for, you know, I do this all day, every day, and I don't want to do it anymore. And I needed a break. So I took a break for several months and have honestly just now reinvigorated sort of the cancer advocacy part of my world. I have returned to ACS CAN as a volunteer. I'm actually chairing the Subway Race Against Cancer here in Knoxville. I think I just needed time for my brain and my heart to settle out with, you know, this is part of my life, but I need to control 
how I interact with cancer as a concept, as a disease, as a as an advocate. So, and they were supportive of that decision. They were. Um, of course, they were sorry to see me go, and I was I was sorry to go. I was sad to leave because I work with some of the most amazing people I have ever had the pleasure of working with. But they were supportive. You know, the leadership in the organization, um, you know, they hadn't experienced cancer themselves. So they couldn't understand, but they couldn't understand personally, but they got it. You know, they understood where I was coming from. And, you know, the, the phrase that I used was it felt like I was a soldier with PTSD who couldn't get out of the foxhole. So, and, you know, that, <laughs> that image definitely resonated with everybody. Michael, uh, I ask all of my guests this question, and I'll ask you too. Someone is listening to the, our conversation that they themselves or someone they care deeply about recently was diagnosed with colon cancer. What would, what would you say to that person? Oh, my gosh. Um, for someone who was diagnosed with colon cancer, I would say there is hope. There is life. Stay in the moment. You know, and I say that because, you know, I'm, I'm cognizant that I'm lucky in that I survived. That doesn't happen for everybody, but that doesn't mean you should give up hope. What that means is there are, as hard as cancer treatment can be, as difficult as that circumstance might be in the moment, there is still good to be had in this life. And find that, whether it's other people, whether it's noticing the things that are around you, and hold on to those because that's what's going to get you through. Let me dig a little deeper. There's probably also someone that recently found out that a permanent colostomy is going to be part of their life. Talk. What would? What's your message for that person? Do not let a permanent colostomy stop you from doing anything. I hear people, and I've I've actually heard research scientists talk about. You know, patients with colostomies sort of sitting on the couch and not doing anything. And that does not have to be true. Appliances are engineered to be used and to be lived in. So live in that appliance and, you know, put it to its test. I mean, I have been and I detail a couple of them in my book. I've been in public where I've had massive colostomy failures but you know i clean myself off and i keep moving because the alternative is i'm going to sit on my couch and not do anything and that is not a life that i want to live so and nobody has to be there i was fortunate when i was in the hospital and i got quote unquote got my colostomy I had wonderful ostomy nurses who who said every day that I saw them, this is not the end of you. You can swim, you can run, you can ride a bike, 
You can do all of this stuff that you have always done with a colostomy. And so I do everything I have always done. That's fantastic. So I will put uh, links on my site. Actually, I do have a recommended reading list on my website, thecolloncancerpodcast.com, and It's Not Harder Than Cancer is prominently displayed. But I will add a few additional links. But for people who might just be listening right now, where can they find your book, Michael? Um, they can find my book on Amazon. It's available as an ebook at the moment. It will be available print on demand starting in May. And they can also find it on my website, which is michaelholtzonline.com. Terrific. Michael, thank you so much for spending some time with me this evening. I wish you, number one, continued good health and, uh, and success and good luck on your marathon next weekend. Thanks, Lee. I appreciate it. Be well, my friend. Thanks, you too. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Colon Cancer Podcast. Notes from this episode can be found on our website at thecoloncancerpodcast.com. You can subscribe to the podcast on our website, on iTunes, or on the Stitcher app for listeners using an Android device. If you or a loved one has a question about colon cancer, please visit the Colon Cancer Alliance website at www.ccalliance.org. Again, that's www.ccalliance.org. You can also email your questions to us at info at the colon cancer Thanks again for listening. Be well, everyone.